Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Keynote by CNBC Events. I'm Tyler Matheson, and on this podcast, we bring you in-depth, candid conversations with executives, experts, and thought leaders. Today, you'll hear from Jim Coulter. He's the executive chairman and co-founder at TPG, a global investment firm with over $100 billion in assets. Mr. Coulter joined us at CNBC's Delivering Alpha conference on September 29th, 2021, to talk about impact investing and his firm's focus on climate change. He spoke with my colleague, Andrew Ross Sorkin. Here's their conversation. Jim, thank you for being here. You are the E and the S and maybe the G. We can talk about that. But you effectively have said, uh, in terms of changing your own role, even within TPG, that you are now focused on the environment and sustainable investing, impact investing. It was six years ago that we began to focus on this concept of impact investing. And six years ago when we began, what I got was largely blank faces on this concept of of impact and investing coming together. And so 25% of people who are all in and 40% interested, that's progress. It's not there all the way, but it's progress from where we started. Well, let's talk about what's the difference. What is the difference between what you think you're doing now? And we should say you've teamed up with Bono and Hank Paulson to start this new fund. And what ESG is, if you will. Again, ESG is, in my view, a change in the ethos of business. And and let me step back on this, because we often talk about climate as a major business trend, but there's also a change in how you do business. When I got out of school, it was all about Japan. It was about Kaizen. And then we moved in the 90s into the era of Jack Welsh, which was if you just studied it and put numbers to it, you could manage it. Then in 2000, the ethos totally changed again, and we went to this concept of entrepreneurship, Like, you just went fast and broke things. Didn't measure it anymore, you just went. And so now we're having this change. It's something uh, we're talking about a lot, where you as a leader of businesses are going to be measured not only on what you do, but on how you do it. And that idea that you're going to be measured as much on how you do something as what you do is the idea of ESG. We're all being asked to do things better. Right. Impact investing is a little different. Impact investing is really at the cutting edge saying, can we bring companies, money to companies, online ed, solar, et cetera, that are by their nature, by their products, actually changing the landscape uh, in a social innovation way? Okay, so, but you believe right now, because you're going after climate investing in in a major way, that this is the equivalent of the late 90s in terms of the internet. Yeah, the discussion was interesting. The early discussion of ESG I was just listening to reminded me of the late 90s, and let's come back to that. But as an investor, you're always trying to build a career bottoms up, investment by investment. But if you get lucky, you catch a few waves. So I've been doing this for 30 years. I'd say I've had three great waves. It was the interest rate super cycle that gave rise to the buyout industry. It was globalization that gave rise to our business in Asia and, and margin differences around the world. Third thing was technology, and there's a lot of analogies to what we're seeing now in technology. Touched every business, changed how every business operated. So what I'm looking at now is um, what I think is the fourth wave of my career, which is the the climate revolution. It's early, uh, and yet I promised to myself back in the late 2000s that if I saw one of these waves happening again, we'd make sure that we were all in and focusing on how to differentiate ourselves. Let me say, though, it's like 98. You couldn't just say technology. How you do it and having a great degree of skepticism and the how 
is critical, and I think that's true right, so here. Now, there's a lot of people who've been saying for a very long time, climate investing is here. Right. And so the question is, why is now yeah, we've been watching, not too early, even? We've been watching this, and, and there was a change really in the last 18 months. And um, you see that in the public market where ESG ETFs are up eight times. And that's a lot of money trying to get in a, a limited number of companies. But let me take you And when the, you say limited number, you're, you're thinking of Tesla. Tesla, yeah, absolutely. And so, d- and so, just the multiples that are assigned to some of these companies. Yeah, now. when money begins to flow in and there's a limited number of true ESG companies, obviously there's some hydraulics to that. We live in a different market, which is we're trying to create the great climate companies of tomorrow. So I think about where we are as a moment that's equivalent to AOL in 1990. It's the first internet company you heard about. Right. Tesla was the first company that you may have heard about uh, in the environmental area. Doesn't mean that Tesla will end like AOL, but it does mean that we haven't yet seen the Salesforce, the Googles of, of this wave. But um, why is it is it really happening now? Because we've been watching this for decades. Uh, I think we moved out of the government era where we were making Paris pledges into four forces coming together. And, and it's, uh, it's a moment we started to see in our deal flow as we were doing impact investing. So quickly, four forces, 2,000 companies have made net zero pledges. CEOs get it. Consumers have gotten on the green wave. I call it the Greta effect. They will pay more for a green product. Third effect is the Larry Fink effect. We just heard it from Chris Allman in Wellington. Capital wants to go into companies doing the right thing. And the fourth wave, and this isn't really talked about as much, is a technological wave. So the numbers are extraordinary. Solar costs are down 93% in the last decade. Wind costs down 63%. Battery costs down 88%. Much more than expected. And it meant we moved from a period of time where it was had to be government supported to where market forces can begin to drive things. And that's where we're spending our time. We hope that the government continues to push forward the tools, but we're not counting or waiting. Well, so that's what I was going to ask, which is the role of government in the investment thesis. How much of this is, is based on or requires governments around the world to continue to press on carbon, for example, to press on the idea of, of whether there should be a carbon tax and how that therefore impacts the marketplace? So first of all, I think it'd be great if the government stepped up and put a tax on or put uh, a cost on carbon and we began to really price out externalities but I don't think we can wait for that this is about being authentic and taking it on and about taking action so the I think uh, what we'll see in Glasgow is is a lot of wind at our backs in terms of government action but what gives me some optimism is really operation warp speed right the fact that if governments and business begin to move together things happen, and we're seeing evidence of that in the marketplace today. When you think about the next great, let's, let's take AOL out of it, but the, the next great sales forces of the world, how do, you think about, how do you think about the incumbent players versus the new players? Right. And, and I say that because you, you look at what General Motors is trying to do, for example, in the United States, or Ford now trying to do with EVs relative to the Teslas and Lucids and Polestars and everybody else, and how you think that plays out. So if we're, we're sitting here five, 10 years from now, yeah. are the legacy companies, have they reinvented themselves? Or are the, the, the new guys, you know, the new successors, are they bankrupt? Yeah, you're about to see uh, a few of the great battles in the history of business play out here. So the OEM marketplace. Uh, if you go back to the 20s in Detroit, there were 100 
OEM-related companies, three survived. But what we're seeing now is whether you're a new company, whether you're an existing company, you have to move to EVs. And, and that motion is going to be one of the most interesting moments. Same thing's going to happen in the remaking of the grid. Uh, batteries. We could talk about the battery battles for, uh, for hours here. So I think there's going to be chaos in the market, and that's why I say you have to be careful. You can't just say buy batteries. You've got to know which battery and why. Uh, but in that chaos is opportunity. And what I think's fascinating at this moment, listening to the conversation, is the, the public market is moving into this question of, you know, we should do ESG investing. I, I think where I'm trying to spend my time is how. Like, how, how are these going to play out over time and which companies are going right. to be the climate But now as you're looking at new investments, how often are you actually looking at a legacy company that wants to reinvent itself versus no. a new company that's trying to make itself around these, these issues? Uh, our deal flow today has actually two major nodes. So first of all, we are seeing some of the most interesting entrepreneurial activities that I've seen outside of technology. So new business models, new ideas. And part of the reason we're set up as an impact company is impact entrepreneurs want impact capital. They want to be mission aligned. The other note of our deal flow is that companies everywhere are understanding that they have extraordinary technologies inside their company and how do they either let those grow, potentially spin those out, taking outside investors. And I think they're informed by the fact that a number of the large tech companies kind of missed it. Right? They missed the fact that they had great technologies within their company, but they didn't put them in a place that they could grow and really compete with the new technologies right. that were coming on. Xerox owned the GUI interface, and they didn't take advantage of it. So I think there's a, a really interesting discussion we're having with existing players as to how they accelerate the technologies that they already have within their company. How do you, how do you think about energy in light of, we were talking about energy prices even just this morning, and one of the things that's happened in Europe, there wasn't enough wind over the summer. No, no, but this becomes a real issue. Yeah. I, I, I'm wondering how you think about that and, and also, therefore, what it means to some of the more traditional or legacy yeah. energy sources that people say they want to move away from, but maybe they're going to ultimately have to keep some form of uh, almost running in parallel to some of these things. Yeah, so let me uh, use the technology analogy again. So the old grid was like a mainframe. It was single directional, turn on your, your light, and it was uh, kind of rate payer. Customers were called rate payers. Like this is a, this is a particular type of, of model. What we're going to now is a, the tech equivalent of a client server model. You now have a distributed grid right. with intermittent wind and power coming into it. Massively more complex, massively more green, and how that grid forms up and what you're seeing now in, in uh, markets like Texas is a little bit like the first time you had your laptop and it couldn't connect to your server and how did that all work. We're, we're going to that distributed system. In that moment, there is an enormous opportunity to change how we, um, how our carbon footprint as a society, but there's also an amazing opportunity to build the companies that are going to enable that. Right. Are you surprised, you know, some of the statistics that, that Tyler reeled off in terms of the poll of, of the folks that are watching us right now did suggest, I mean, that things have come very, very far, but there's still a lot of skepticism. Yeah, there should be. Um, first of all, there should be skepticism because this is hard, right? This is, this is a marketplace that is, um, is complicated and, and hard. Uh, and secondly, there's, um, 
we're overcoming a long period of time right. where you were told that impact investing had to be concessionary. And this is when, when we started our RISE effort, this is one of the biggest things we had to overcome, is that um, if you're solving a great societal problem, there should be a number of places where there are enormous investment opportunities by doing that. Not to say that there aren't things that government and charities must and should do, but if you solve online ed, if we can solve EVs, uh, there should be immense capital opportunities in that. And when capital gets moving, that's what we're about, Andrew, get capital moving. You know, a number of major corporations, Microsoft, Salesforce, and the like, uh, in many cases, technology companies have not only made pledges about becoming green and getting to net zero, but becoming negative. Right. That's going to require a lot more than, frankly, uh, you know, planting trees and creating forests. And I'm curious where you think the technology is today and what it's going to take to get to a place where, you know, carbon capture, for example, if that if that's a thing, is a real thing and works. Yeah. Well, as you know, Andrew, in the uh, effort that we just put together, TPG Rise Climate, we were joined by over 25 major corporations who invested with us. And because they're, these are companies that are deeply committed to this journey, and yet they realize that the path to the journey is unclear. We have to create these great companies and technologies to enable right. uh, this to happen. So in, in some ways, I applaud this idea of people moving to net zero and beyond. But um, while I'm applauding it, I also know we need to get to work in providing so, how this but I, happen. So tell us, though, now that you're on the inside of this, you are spending a lot of time with entrepreneurs and investors and the like. Is there stuff out there that you say, OK, you know what, this I'm, I'm looking at my clock, but this could work if if maybe by 2030, maybe by 2040. Are, the, are these pledges yeah. and promises that are made going to be able to be kept? Uh, first of all, let me say that. I've been deep in the market for a while, and one of the key understandings is there is no silver bullet. It's about silver buckshot. For 100 years, we've been putting carbon in everything, and there are many paths to taking it out. I'm optimistic, though, by the amount of innovation what's, that I what's see. What's the coolest thing I'm, you've seen recently? Just tell uh, us something that's like... So what, let, me, uh, let me give you a broad thing. I'm totally into batteries. Now, but when people say batteries, they think about lithium ion. One of the key um, elements of what's made us humans, excuse me for getting uh, way big for a second here, is our ability to release energy whenever we want to. First time we did that was we burned a tree. A tree is a battery. It takes sunlight and stores it. Then we figured out coal. It takes sunlight from millions of years ago, stores it. Oil, same thing, etc. So what we're doing is getting closer and closer in different kinds of batteries. So lithium ion is a battery. Hydrogen is a battery. Compressed air can be a battery. Put uh, pumping water into a dam at night can be a right. battery. So the idea of new quick phase storage is absolutely fascinating because if we can take the sunlight around us, if we can take the wind around us and immediately store it and use it the way we need to do it, the picture just becomes right. a different. You know, before we talked about uh, tax and carbon or some kind of arrangement around the world of carbon, what do you make of just the this moment we're in around carbon credits? And whether carbon credits are, are even a real thing. I mean, I think there's yeah. been a lot of questions about whether certain forests that, uh, you know, uh, have been, you know, they've been conserved, you know, 25 times over at this point. Yeah. 
There's uh, certainly a lot of caution about carbon credits, but it's something that we're uh, deeply interested in. And we, uh, we own one of the largest um, carbon credit producers in the renewable natural gas marketplace. And the reason we're interested in it is if you look at the last mile, like how are you really going to get to net zero? I think one of the answers is probably some balancing of, of carbon credits. So if you think about, I'm not sure credit is even the right word, think about um, a new currency, which allows the companies that are long credit right. and short, or, uh, long carbon and short carbon to trade. If it's done right, right, if it's done with quality, I think it can be a very important development. No, there's a lot of folks talking about the blockchain and whether you could put those two things together yeah. somehow. Listen, I, I think uh, Bitcoin is interesting, but um, carbon credits as a currency, that's a really interesting and important idea. Do you think that there's ways to use all of these new technologies, blockchain and the like, to power these developments? I mean, there, are, there, there is a view out there that, you know, you could create the economics around building more wind farms through mining, you know, rat- coins and the like. Um, I'm worried that someday they'll pop up a crypto ESG ETF and we'll all, you know, too many things will come together here. But I think what you're touching on is an important question. We need um, confidence. So as an investor, you want to know that when you invest in that ETF or that company, that you're right. confidently making a difference. And if some sort of blockchain could increase the confidence in the right. marketplace, I think it can help accelerate capital to the problem. Okay, here's a practical delivering alpha question for you. If you're a public investor and you're, you can't be invested in your fund, I know it's closed already, <laughs> are there ways you think that the, the Coulter family would invest or try to think about investing in the public markets to capture the opportunities you're talking about? Or you think it's just still too early? Um, you know, I'm not a, uh, an active public market right. investor for obvious reasons. Uh, I think I would learn a lot from the analogy of what happened in the public market. And uh, we want to come back to this. So it feels a little bit to me like 99, when I was sitting in San Francisco, and we understood the technology was coming and it was going to be big. Many companies got to the public market too fast. Right. But in that moment, Amazon was born. And in moments soon after that, Google was born. And then later, companies like Uber and Airbnb stayed in the private market for 10 years. So I would be trying to think about what's to come and make sure that I don't get carried away with this moment and instead get carried away with this era. And uh, so I'm, I'm looking ahead to the great companies that are being created and I'm, I'm seeing their genesis bottoms up in the market. Okay, before we let you go, speak to where we are just in the broader marketplace. I know you're not a public, uh, <laughs> public investor, but look, the public markets drive a lot of the valuations for private markets. Yeah. And there's some people who would even argue that we are, I don't want to say in a bubble, but that we, we are closer to the, the ninth inning than we are to the first. And that actually, in, in some cases, even investing in climate and the like is a function of a great marketplace, meaning, meaning these, are, these are when you have the good problems. Right. Uh, I think it's interesting for two moments in time. First of all, it's almost October. Andrew, you and I have been doing this a long time. Stuff happens in October, and this is in October. Why is that? Do we know? Why I, that I don't is? know why it is, but like I started in '86. It just it, it stuff happens in October, and uh, we've got government uh, activity. We've got a potential default. So strap in. 
uh, strap in. It's, it's going to be an interesting time with both opportunities and risk. But the other moment that I've been spending a lot of time thinking about, and it's part of the reason why I've been focused on this alpha moment in climate, is uh, it feels to me like we're coming a little bit to the later days of the tech this at the era of the tech revolution and a period of time which there was a lot of levered beta and levered tech beta right. in the marketplace as multiples were expanding, rates were low, et cetera. And that era, um, you know, I've called seven of the last five recessions, so maybe I'm calling it too, right. uh, too early, but it feels to me like we're moving into an era where you can't count on that beta and you've got to deliver alpha. And that's what, that's, so where are you going to find alpha? You're going to find alpha in disruption and change and major waves in the economy. You might choose biotech, you might choose reshoring, but I think this, what my partner Hank Paulson calls, you know, the biggest industrial revolution in the history of mankind, which is the decarbonizing the economy. We're just on the early moments of that, of that era. And that to me is interesting and, and uh, why I'm searching for Alpha there. That was TPG co-founder and executive chairman Jim Coulter. He spoke to Andrew Ross Sorkin at CNBC's Delivering Alpha conference on September 29, 2021. The keynote is produced by the CNBC events team. For the latest conversations with thought leaders, please subscribe to this podcast. You can also rate, review, and share this podcast. Visit CNBCEvents.com to register for upcoming events and hear these conversations live. We'd love to see you there. I'm Tyler Matheson. Thanks for listening.